Hello and welcome to Water Q&A, Global Water Forum's monthly dive into the challenges of water governance in the 21st century. I'm Jesper Svensson, your host. In this episode, I spoke with Dr. Emily Dupuis about the shifting roles of governments, markets and civil society in Latin America. At issue are the transnational mobilizations of local communities to defend their rights and express their concerns in the urgent context of environmental changes and resource conflicts. What is the relationship between neoliberalism and social resistance movements in Latin America over the last two decades? Well, um, first, thank you to invite me to participate to the to the podcast to the podcast. Um, maybe what I'm going to to tell you about now uh, is part of a research we did with other uh, professors, researchers. And maybe before starting, I would like to thank um, the International Association for the Study of the Commons because we did a workshop with them in 2018 and we had really great conversations and uh, they really brought uh, important thoughts to our research. So, And I would like in particular to thank Sergio Villamayor, Gustavo Garcia and Giacomo Dalisa for their support, and also the, the co-authors of this research, uh, who are uh, Ruthred Bullens, Barbara Hugenboom, Fabio De Castro, and Michil Bo. And, well, so regarding Great. your question, uh, maybe it's important to come back to an historical background, and uh, we see that neoliberalism um, had some a strong impacts from the 90s uh, in the Latin American region, especially uh, regarding water resources, um, because there, there has been um, a wave of privatization of drinking water services and sanitation in the region. And uh, this uh, privatization process has been uh, promoted by international financial institutions uh, such as the World Bank or the International Monetary Fund. And they try to promote what uh, they call public-private partnerships, like as the best model to adopt, no? And uh, just to give uh, a, a, a small definition, public-private partnerships imply the concession of water management by public authorities to private companies and there are contracts establishing a regulatory framework. And maybe it's quite difficult to define what is neoliberalism, but from the literature we can say that neoliberalism is the transformation of the social in lights of markets and individual freedoms, freedom. And um, there has been also at the international scale more and more people talking about green neoliberalism. Uh, which is more specifically the belief in market solutions to solve environmental problems. And so to come back to your question about the the links between neoliberalism and social protest and resistance, we see that uh, in Latin America, uh, many social movements have uh, been, uh, have emerged to respond to these neoliberal uh, reforms. Uh, through uh, violent protests uh, sometimes. Uh, and these protests 
aim to stop the concession of water services to these multinational firms and to claim water justice. And maybe just to give you an, an example of one of the most emblematic um, mobilization against uh, neoliberal, neoliberal reform, um, it was uh, what has been called the water war in Cochabamba, Bolivia in 2000. And this uh, protest was led by local actors against the privatization of water services to the foreign firm Aguas del Tunari, uh, which is a Bechtel Group's filial. And it is one of the first cases where local communities succeeded in cancelling the contract signed with a foreign company. And we see uh, also other uh, positive consequences of these protests in the continent. For example, in large cities, uh, which have initiated the re-municipalization of their water services, for example, in La Paz in Bolivia or in Buenos Aires in Argentina. And um, in both cases, private concessions have collapsed uh, because of a social context of opposition from the poor people and the social movements. Um, but if we go uh, to a more uh, contemporary recent uh, context, we see that despite the successfulness of some of these uh, protests, uh, there is evidence to suggest that um, that local communities or poor people are still facing threats of privatization of what we can call also commodification um, of their water services. And what, what is quite interesting here is that more and more uh, the protests are not, on, not only directed against private companies, but also against states. And we see that uh, in the region, in the 2000, um, new post-neoliberal governments have been elected. And their priority at the beginning was to implement policies of redistribution, poverty alleviation, and social development. This is the case, for example, with Ecuador and Bolivia. And these countries um, have, for example, a prohibited the privatization of water in their national constitutions. However, um, these governments have also developed uh, strong extractivist interests. And so they have tried to, to strengthen the, their control over strategic resources. And there we see that water is the main uh, strategic natural resources for these states. And so we saw that new social movements, new resistance have emerged uh, this time against the states. For example, uh, in 2012, there has been in Ecuador the March for Water Life and People's Dignity. Um, but also, uh, I would like to highlight an important point here, is that uh, there is not only opposition and resistance, uh, sometimes local communities and grassroots movements also try to accommodate, to adapt, and to act from inside neoliberal uh, institutions, and practices. So this is not only about opposition between both uh, um, between um, grassroots movements and neoliberalism. For example, there are some convergences between neoliberalism and identity politics and indigenous rights. Uh, neoliberal spaces have brought some opportunities to these movements to be recognized um, 
and to have uh, some voices in decision-making processes. Um, so this was to bring some complexity uh, to the to the question. So y you mentioned that there are bo both a, a right wing and left wing examples of this. Can can you tell us uh, examples of how governments, market-led institutions, and local communities interact in global environmental arenas in Latin America? Yes. Um, maybe um, if we take... Uh, uh, I, I would like to stay in the case of water resources. And so if we go now uh, to uh, global environmental arenas, um, we see that water plays a major role in the Sustainable Development Goals, uh, which have been launched in 2015. And so water is more and more debated and regulated at the global scale. But what we see is that there is quite a domination of some actors in global water governance systems. Um, and uh, we can see, for example, that, that this system is, is largely controlled by expert networks, such as the World Water Council, the Global Water Partnership, or the International Water Association, which are um, conformed by international NGOs, governments, private companies, and academic institutions. So we see that in global water governance arenas, uh, grassroots actors, or more specifically, water community organizations, remain quite invisible. And is that this does not reflect the reality of these actors, especially in Latin America. Uh, because we see that throughout the continent, it's common to see water community organizations providing drinking water and sanitation services to isolated rural areas, especially where the state has been notably absent. Um, and just to give you some, num some uh, numbers, um, uh, from Avina Foundation or UN Water, they estimate that um, there will be around 80,000 water community organizations in the region providing the service to over 40 million inhabitants, which is quite um, important, no? Um, and, the, and these actors represent a viable option for ensuring the human right to water uh, to the poor people. Uh, so if we if we go back to uh, the global water governance system, um, despite the absence of a global water regime like a consolidated one, we see that there, there, there are more and more formal norms that have emerged at the global scale. And these norms are especially associated with a technical discourse on water resources and an economic representation on this resource, especially since the adoption in 92 of the Dublin Principles. So as a result, uh, most local commons and water commons are now subject to multiple global norms and discourses that are mainly focused on a market-based approach. And to give uh, maybe an illustration, we can take the example of the human right to water. And we see that uh, in depending on the actors, uh, there are multiple interpretations of this right. For example, at the global scale, there is mainly an individualistic dimension given to the human right to water, which uh, is quite in contradiction which, uh, with the initial claims of grassroots movements, 
uh, was claiming more a collective right to water, not an individualistic one. Uh, we can say also that the human right to water also often disregards economic injustices and power inequalities at the local scale. And also, if we take the declaration by the UN Special Rapporteur on the Human Right to Water and Sanitation, um, this rapporteur has, has, uh, has said at many times that the current international human rights regime is compatible with private property rights and commercial exploitation by water businesses. Also, uh, again, uh, it's not only about uh, this um, market-based approach or individual approach. We can, uh, again, uh, consider the role of states uh, in implementing the human right to water, and we see that states tend to implement, the, uh, to, tend to interpret this right more according to its access component and not so much about uh, like a decision-making practice. So this means that states' uh, control over water management uh, does not automatically imply the full exercise of human rights by citizens and by grassroots actors. So we see that civil society power is often limited by states' usage of water as a strategic resource for national development, uh, as we say before. Also. And um, just to give you another uh, a short uh, illustration, uh, which is linked to water resources, but is more linked uh, is more connected to forest resources. Um, just to, 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 to highlight again that uh, global environmental ironies are quite um, uh, characterized by a market-based orientation. And we see this uh, again in the global forest regime, uh, especially since the adoption in 2007 of the Red Plus mechanism which is the reduction of emissions from deforestation and forest degradation program. And Red Plus consists of a payment for ecosystem services, uh, which is more focused on carbon sequestration than, than on water and cultural services. And um, maybe we'll see later uh, why this, this example is important. When I when I speak to you, it sounds to me that the the state and the market are leaving communities behind. Uh, when, where, and how have grassroots movements developed strategies to scale up their activities in order to improve their access and representation in global arenas and transnational processes? Yes, yes, this is this is uh, this is right. Um, and in order to fight the exclusion, as you mentioned, the exclusion of grassroots movements from global and regional decision-making processes, um, local communities have started to establish their own transnational grassroots movements. Um, what I'm, uh, maybe just to give you a short definition, what is a transnational grassroots movement? Um, uh, this movement symbolized the awareness of a shared cause between actors previously isolated from each other. So the specificity of these movements uh, relies on their self-governance and self-membership, as the constituent grassroots organizations are both providers and beneficiaries of a collective service. Uh, but it's important to highlight here that these movements sometimes uh, do not just emerge from the bottom, but 
there are other actors who helped uh, to create these movements. And we find here um, international NGO states or experts uh, who uh, tried to uh, support the creation of these transnational grassroots movements. So uh, we see more specifically that in order to gain visibility and power in the defense of water resources, um, these movements have adopted uh, discourses, framings around the commons. So uh, they have tried to uh, lead to, 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 to adopt the process of recommoning the society and to create counter-hegemonic alternatives to neoliberalism. Um, maybe going back to some historical background, we see that some of the first attempts to create grassroots movements at the transnational scale originated from indigenous communities in the 80s, especially in the Latin American region. And more recently, uh, we see that transnational movements have tried to, uh, um, to struggle for different uh, causes, for example, to promote community-based governance of natural resources, or to defend uh, climate justice against extractive industries, or also um, to uh, fight against the global uh, water privatization policies. So, uh, taking uh, one concrete example, we can talk a bit about CLOXAS, uh, which is one of the cases we develop in our research. CLOXAS is the Latin American Confederation of Community Organizations for Water Services and Sanitation. It has been created in 2011. And its main objective is to increase the visibility of community water organizations in national, regional, and global areas, and also to promote their associativities throughout the continent because they realized that most of, of water community organizations in the continent were really disarticulated. So um, they couldn't really have uh, a strong power and visibility in front of other actors. Uh, CLOXAS is composed of 15 uh, members, uh, which are uh, national or sub-national uh, water community federations of the continent. Um, it's interesting to see that CLOXAS has tried to reframe the global human right to water to better position its interests, or more uh, concretely, the interests of local communities. And uh, it has... Um, link or so, so sometimes oppose human right to water to associativity. Um, so according to Cloxas, associativity is linked to the vision of water as a service to be collectively managed by a group of actors. So we see here the collective uh, component, which is really strong. Um, and so uh, according to Cloxas leader, leaders, the implementation of the human right to water should not only be linked to the integrated management of the resource, but most of all to the social management of the service linked to monitoring participation and dialogue with governments. And uh, another example, uh, which I find quite uh, illustrative and interesting, is more linked to forest commons. And if we take back uh, what I mentioned before about red plus programs, uh, we see that um, there, have been, there has been a strong transnational involvement of grassroots movements to resist and to um, criticize Red Plus programs. 
and especially uh, global indigenous leaders have used the slogan no rights no red to express their concern towards the exclusion of indigenous peoples from global negotiations but also the failure to recognize territorial rights and the lack of clear definitions of who harms forest carbon whites and um, one of the main opponents to red plus has been COICA. COICA is another example of a transnational grassroots movement. COICA is the coordination of the indigenous organizations of the Amazon Basin. It's a transnational network created in 84. Um, so it's, uh, it has a long history and it has been created to support regional struggles for tightening of indigenous territories. And the network is composed of nine national indigenous federation of the Amazon. And it's quite in, this example is quite interesting because we see that over time, uh, COICA has changed its strategy at the global scale. And, and uh, prog progressively, it has shifted its political position to take Red Plus as an opportunity to pursue its own agenda on territorial rights. Uh, and this shift has occurred in the context of the, the increasing recognition at the global scale of uh, Red Plus safeguards and participatory mechanisms, in, especially, for example, with the adoption in 2015 of the Paris Agreement. And so uh, working in collaboration with um, NGOs and other actors, COICA has designed its own Red Plus version called the Indigenous Amazonian Red Plus, RIA. Uh, so this initiative aimed at supporting indigenous people's demand on 100 million hectares of forest in the Amazon. And more specifically, it has three objectives. First, it aims to include climate mitigation programs under national public policies, so to ensure state control uh, and to be sure that a Red Plus will, uh, would not uh, only be implemented through market-based mechanism. Uh, second, it aims to finance the tightening of indigenous territories. And uh, lastly, it aims to design indicators for ecosystem services beyond carbon sequestration. So uh, the, the most important thing for this, for, for COICA is that um, REDPLUS should not only finance uh, environmental carbon objectives, but also other objectives, for example, water services, um, conservation, and ancestral uh, or cultural services. Are there any countries that stand out here? Yeah, 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 yeah. There are, there are nine, uh, nine organizations in COICA, but we see that the main leaders will be from Peru, uh, Ecuador and, and Colombia, but most, uh, in, in, um, more specifically, I would say from, from Peru, because in Peru, uh, you can find uh, one national federation, which is AIDESEP, the Interethnic Association for the Development of the Peruvian Amazon, and it has been really strong uh, in promoting uh, the indigenous Amazonian Red Plus at the global scale. Yes. We are really living in a, a black and white world. You know, um, there's a lot of binary thinking. So I want to I wanna ask you, are there examples and patterns in Latin America where governments, 
markets and local communities actually coexist in desirable outcomes? Yes. Uh, yes, we can see that uh, the transnational involvement of grassroots uh, organizations have led to the wider global recognitions of their claims regarding the local commons. So they have uh, their transnational involvement have led to quite uh, to some positive impacts for them. No, um, for example, um, going back to the water anti-privatization movement uh, in Bolivia, uh, I, I, I before I mentioned the, the water war in Cochabamba, uh, we see that. This, trans, this international movement, um, uh, well, this anti-privatization movement has been internationalized uh, through, for example, the World Social Forum or the Alternative World Water Forum. And this has led, in, at some point, to the global recognition of the human right to water by the United Nations General Assembly in 2010. Um, so these movements um, succeeding succeed in, um, in getting positive results. Uh, we can see also, for example, in, if we take the indigenous knowledge or uh, the rights of nature, uh, we can see that they have been also more and more recognized and debated at the global scale. Um, for example, uh, the 2018 um, World Water Development Report from the United Nations recognize the, va the value of indigenous and traditional knowledge for water management and conservation. Um, but more specifically, uh, these movements have uh, succeeded uh, in, in having positive impacts uh, from their professionalization. So they have been more and more professionalize professionalized uh, through entering uh, global arenas. Here, uh, I I can define shortly professionalization, uh, which means the formalization of grassroots networks into more consolidated orga organizational forms, such as NGOs, the standardization of technical skills and the building of a renewed grassroots expertise. And uh, following the idea of the boomerang effect, uh, professionalization processes may produce positive impacts back for grassroots organizations for example, in terms of recognition by governments and access to political and financial resources. So if we take again the case of CLOXAS, uh, this uh, transnational network of community water uh, management, uh, we see that for them, professionalization meant the adoption of a technical and entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial approach of water community governance. And this has uh, led to the consolidation of partnerships with governments, private companies, international experts, and regional development banks. And uh, it's quite interesting to see that uh, CLOXAS, uh, again, a bit, um, it's quite similar to, it's not the same, but it's similar to the process of, of COICA. No? They, they have shifted their discourses while entering global arenas. And so, uh, they have um, see, uh, seen that the private sector can be a good uh, partner for them and a solution to implement the right, uh, the, the human right to water in local communities without access to this basic service. So their objective 
has been to open dialogue with big uh, companies uh, which are already oriented toward ensuring the human right to water more than profit. Um, and the main interest for them is to secure financial resources to make the human right to water effective and to obtain technologies at a lower cost. Um, also, another uh, positive impact on the global um, involvement of Clockstats is the multiplication of public community partnership, partnerships in water services management in Latin America. Here we can take the example of Ecuador, um, where the 2008 constitution officially recognized, recognizes uh, community systems as full-fledged actors in national water governance, IRENAS. And more recently, in 2014, uh, in, in Ecuador, um, a new water law has been adopted, and it aims to promote partnerships between local governments and community organizations for the provision of drinking water services. And uh, one component of uh, this reform is that uh, communities' capacities should be strengthened. And so CLOCSAS really have, has tried to... Um, to bring support to the implementation of these public community partnerships on the ground. So this has been quite a positive impact of their action. And uh, again, if we take the other example uh, I've tried to develop about um, the indigenous Amazonian red, um, and going back to the to, to this case, we, we see that uh, the transnational involvement of COICA has led uh, to improve to improving access to financial resources at the global scale. So, for example, the World Bank has supported the, uh, this uh, proposal of indigenous Amazonian red, and it has led uh, it has launched the dedicated grant mechanism Saweto Peru. It's called so it's specifically for Peru, and it's total uh, 5.5 million dollars. To, uh, to for the implementation of the indigenous Amazonian red and the tightening of almost 310 indigenous communities in this country. So this is quite a positive uh, result also of this new collaboration uh, between governments, uh, the private sector, experts and grassroots uh, movements. What about the role of women? Is it, does it matter? Yes, um, yes, it's quite interesting to see um, that um, um, inside these networks uh, there is there is uh, there is a lack of, of women involvement. I, I would say because um, most of uh, transnational leaders are men, and so they have tried to compensate this uh, inequality. No trying to build a capacity building for women leaders, for them to be represented at the transnational and global scales. But um, this inequality, um, we, we, find, we find it also at the local scale because in, uh, in, water, uh, in water management, uh, in local uh, community water management organizations, uh, we see that most of leaders are, are men and, and women stands a bit um, like underrepresented. Um, so I would say that uh, unfortunately 
the role of women uh, is uh, is weak, and uh, and this is uh, an important point to take into consideration for the sustainability of these movements, because uh, they claim to be representative of all uh, the local communities. But in reality, we see if if we if we go uh, inside uh, these movements and we try not to take them as black boxes, we see that they are not fully representative of all the local actors. When a social mobilization occurs and is scaled up to the international level, what, what is the effect back on the local ground? Yes, um, in, in our research, we aim to analyze the effects of the production of and appropriation of transnational discourses by grassroots movements down to the local communities and their management of the local commons. And maybe this is linked also to my previous comments, no? What are the risks and the dilemmas um, of uh, getting transnational uh, for for the local uh, communities and their management, no? Uh, um, because we see that there are uh, quite a lot of dilemmas of appropriating external expert knowledge at the global scale to support the, their claims, while simultaneously defending more locally rooted knowledge on the commons governance. So this is quite, this is quite a dilemma of getting transnational. No? Um, and we see that uh, the, uh, the adoption by uh, transnational grassroots movement of a technical approach of uh, common uh, common knowledge has produced an even effect for the local commons, often going against the initial claims uh, made by grassroots movements, or misrecognizing particular interests while translating um, them during upscaling strategies. Um, so, uh, for example, many water community networks, especially in this case, Cloxas tend to adopt the technical framing of uh, water resources in order to get included into national or global decision-making processes. And this technical framing tends to uh, reproduce uh, an historical exclusion of a more uh, traditional or ancestral forms of managing water services. And, and on the contrary, it tends to... Um, to be to, to favor uh, modern water committee committees. Um, so we see that there are various obstacles of this uh, transnational dynamics, uh, this professionalization dynamics, uh, which sometimes uh, lead to disconnections with local actors and processes of exclusions. Um, and um, also. Um, but also, yes, it's quite interesting. Um, you, we, we can go back maybe to the to the illustration of of Glocksas to be more concrete. Um, and we see that uh, there has been resistance inside uh, these transnational grassroots movements. So in the in the case of Glocksas, the professionalization and the technical framing it has adopted has been highly criticized. By, by resisting or excluded actors who perceive uh, this process as a top-down participation imposed by transnational leaders. 
And some local leaders have um, denounced the paternalism of Cloxas uh, or um, some lack of transparency. And also, uh, for example, Cloxas each year uh, is organizing a Latin American meeting of water community management in a different country of the region. But some uh, local actors have even refused to participate to these meetings because uh, they they were um, they were not satisfied with the um, the process led by by Cloxas at the global level. Uh, also, if we go back to this example of the public uh, community partnerships at the national level, uh, we see that there is resistance against this kind of partnerships uh, because some local actors um, fear that uh, the local governments will um, uh, will be more powerful and will not uh, recognize the full autonomy of uh, water community organizations. So they, they fear that they will uh, lose their autonomy uh, towards um, public authorities. So that's why they, they do not want to enter in public community partnerships. Um, and uh, as I was saying before, uh, the professionalization of COXAS tends to favor more the modern water com com communities. And so uh, on the contrary, uh, more uh, traditional forms of water governance uh, linked to indigenous uh, people's practices or ancestral um, practices. Um, these communities, these organizations have tried to be organized in other transnational grassroots movements, which are not CLOXAS because they do not feel well represented by this network. And so, for example, um, in Ecuador, they are more integrated into um, the Confederation of the Indigenous Nationalities of Ecuador, CONFENAI, or at the regional level, they have tried to be linked to the Red Vida, which is the Inter-American Network for the Defense and Right to Water. So there is, we can see that there is a competition between different kinds of transnational grassroots movements. Um, and uh, taking the, um, now the illustration of um, Koika and of um, uh, the red, uh, indigenous Amazonian red, uh, we also see that it has faced uh, quite a strong resistance uh, from some local communities. Um, because um, the, through, through the indigenous Amazonian red, Koika has tried uh, more to uh, defend, uh, to, to respond to international conservation requirements. And it has um, forgotten a bit uh, the economic development uh, needed and asked by local communities. So that's why some local actors have tried to, uh, to um, propose other, uh, other um, initiatives at the local scale uh, to complement or to, criti to criticize the indigenous Amazonian red. And if we go uh, again in the case of Peru, uh, we see that at the local scale in the region of Madre de Dios, um, a local federation has been uh, created, which is uh, the Indigenous Forest Association of Madrid de Dios, AFIMAD. And this local um, association 
has tried to support and to promote productive activities in indigenous communities. For example, Brazil nuts exploitation, organic certification and timber management plans. And um, they have tried to promote the concept of the indigenous economic development. So this is not just about uh, the tightening of territories or the conservation of forests, but it's about uh, productive activities for indigenous peoples. Um, and it's quite interesting because uh, they say that, according to them, uh, political self-determination is not possible without economic self-determination. So these examples show us um, the risks and the dilemmas uh, of getting transnational for uh, the local commons and the sustainability of the of the movements. No? Which uh, institutional and actor configurations contribute to protect and secure local commons, such as water resources? Yes. Yeah, so at the end, maybe this would be a this would be a, a conclusion no? uh, to the to this whole discussion. We see that there is no unique answer, and as you said before, um, we cannot take uh, all these examples in black and white, and there is quite a lot of complexity. Um, and I would say, maybe um, to, to conclude, that um, there is not just one-sided understanding of these commoning movements, and we cannot say that these movements are just a post-capitalist and post-hegemonic alternative. We see that um, transnational grassroots movements tend to act inside neoliberal capitalist structures and opportunities in order to defend the commons. And so this observation supports the need to avoid um, idealistic images of the local commons. And uh, it, um, it invites us to explore the hybrid assemblages by grassroots movements between private, public, and community-based practices on water commons and different forms of expert knowledge. So it calls for breaking with the binary duality between expert and indigenous knowledge, and rather seeing how claims, norms, and rights are co-produced uh, in these transnational, transnational processes and localization processes, and uh, seeing that um, there are unequal power relationships among uh, this act also, um, maybe this would be my, my conclusion to keep uh, complexity in, in our research and avoid, uh, um, and avoid adopting um, standardized uh, answers or solutions or, or models, no? and we, sh we should see uh, cases per cases and uh, be careful um, to not... Uh, idealize uh, some actors uh, because there are there are always power relations in 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 these uh, relationships we see in the media now that the the bolsonaro government uh, in brazil is violating indigenous people's rights and li livelihoods what what can states outside of latin america do yes i see i i, I think this is an interesting example because uh, in the case of Brazil, we see that it's really difficult to um, to rely on the state, uh, on the on the national government for the 
for the preservation and the guarantee of uh, indigenous rights. So this is a good example of how uh, indigenous people should go maybe uh, better to the global scale um, to find uh, support and some instruments uh, to guarantee their rights. And uh, and there are there are some um, instruments at the global scale uh, to support them. For example, um, the the, con the convention uh, one. Uh, 169 of the International Labour um, Organization is an important tool for them um, to claim um, their right uh, to self-determination and their right to have their territory respected. And also at the international scale, you can find um, the global declaration of the indigenous rights which has been recognized in 2007. And also, uh, this is quite a strong instrument for them uh, uh, to claim, um, to claim uh, their uh, survival, no? And to denounce, uh, also to go to the international scale, to denounce uh, Bolsonaro's uh, policies at the national scale. So acting at the global scale is really important in the case you can find support at national scale. And also Brazil, indigenous peoples of Brazil are part of this um, COICA I was mentioning before. And this is a strong support for them uh, to build a stronger voice and representation, not just to be alone at the local scale or in Brazil, but to have a regional voice, a regional power um, also, maybe it's not just about the global scale, but the Latin American, the regional scale, it is also important uh, because you can find also some uh, spaces um, for Amazonian um, indigenous pe peoples who, uh, for example, have each year a meeting, a regional meeting of all of their federations. And there they can make declarations and they can uh denounce make make uh, like denounce the, the the bad practices in their countries um and try to to find a way to uh, to resist um anti-rights uh, policies uh, as you mentioned no? thank you very much uh, emily for uh, being on this program with us and thank you all for uh, listening yeah, no, thank you to you. I hope uh, you enjoyed it. And uh, obviously, I'm, I'm available to answer additional questions or um, being in contact with the audience if they have more questions or interest in this topic. Water Q&A is a joint production for Global Water Forum by the Australian National University and University of Oxford. To find out more, go to www.globalwaterforum.org. Follow us on Twitter and find us on Facebook. Just type in Global Water Forum into the search bar.